a premier West Coast battle between the two best non-Power 6 programs in the country is set for late December between Gonzaga and San Diego State. We're going to break all things down about this rivalry coming up right after this. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Happy Thursday, Zag Nation. Lots of stuff going on right now, even as we get into late July, early August, the supposed slow season for college basketball. We have a bunch of news coming out. Gonzaga and San Diego State starting a true home-and-home series beginning this year at the McCarthy Athletic Center. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Gonzaga's non-conference schedule as a whole. Ten games are on the calendar now. We know who they're playing in Maui. What else is going to change on this calendar? How many more games are they going to add, et cetera, et cetera. We'll wrap up the show talking about home-and-home series in general, why it's good for college basketball, and then Friday's show all about conference realignment we thought it was over Colorado going to the big 12 big storyline we are going to get that covered what it means for Gonzaga coming up on Friday's show so stick with us for the rest of the week for now though we got to start with the big story a matchup that many have been clamoring for for years decades almost it feels like Gonzaga San Diego State they've only played each other four times despite being two of the best non-power six basketball programs in the entire country. I was going to say on the West Coast, but they're the two premier ones. They really are. They have been for a long time. This has been a a very fun matchup waiting to happen. And now we finally get an opportunity to see it come together for at least two consecutive matchups starting December 29th at the McCarthy Athletic Center. Will be one of Gonzaga's final non-conference games before they get into the WCC regular season. The 2024 game will be at VAS Arena in San Diego. Uh, no date has been scheduled for that, but that will be how this home and home series will work. And now, as if Gonzaga wanted needed to find a way to to top what was already an incredible non-conference schedule last year when they played Alabama and Baylor and Texas and Purdue in the Phil Knight Invitational and Michigan State and so on and so on. Gonzaga decided to play the two teams that met met each other in the national championship game last year. They said, we want both of them on the calendar, on the schedule. They'll play UConn in Seattle. They'll play San Diego State in Spokane. For so long, we talked about Gonzaga and their struggles to get these kind of opponents on the calendar. It's something we've seen Randy Bennett's team struggle with. It takes a long time to get to the point where you can put these kind of teams on your schedule. Look at what Gonzaga just did, though. The two teams that played for a national championship not only are both willing to play Gonzaga next year, but they're traveling to do so. UConn is coming across the country from Storrs, Connecticut to Seattle, Washington to play Gonzaga in what is going to be a neutral site, but it is on the West Coast. 
Of course, there is a return game at Madison Square Garden. So there is a benefit for UConn doing this, but for UConn to be willing to come across the country to play in what is going to be a road-adjacent environment to play a team like Gonzaga, while San Diego State is willing to come all the way to the Spokane, to the McCarthy Athletic Center, two teams that played in the national championship. This is proof of the growth. Yes, again, this is, you know, it's not like it was Duke and Kansas in the national championship. That's a little bit different. UConn is a premier blue blood style program, but they are a not quite at that caliber of, of program. And San Diego State is not in that conversation necessarily either. But still, for Gonzaga to bring both those programs to their home area is a testament to how hard Mark Few and their staff have worked to convince these teams that they are worth playing, that it is good for the sport, whatever other arguments they are able to use to get these teams to be willing to play. And this is going to be an extremely fun game. Both these games are going to be fantastic. For San Diego State, of course, there's kind of the built-in West Coast aspect of the rivalry. There's the fact that these two teams have had some pretty intense matchups in the past. San Diego State met, won the most recent game in this series. Like we said, it is 2-2 two to two right now. San Diego State won at their home arena in 2017. They won in Spokane in 2010. That was the game that Stephen Gray dropped 35 for the Zags, but some at the time unknown forward for San Diego State named Kawhi Leonard helped lead the Aztecs to victory. Gonzaga won in 2016. Zach Collins had 15 and eight in that one. So a lot of fun matchups we've seen between these two teams. I guess not a lot of fun matchups, but they have been fun matchups when these two teams have gotten a chance to play each other. Uh, And now they're going into next season. Both teams lost a lot of talent. San Diego State loses three of their starters. Matt Bradley runs out of college eligibility. Nathan Mensa is out of eligibility. Keshad Johnson transfers to Arizona to play with Tommy Lloyd next season. They still have Lamont Butler, who hit that game-winning shot over Florida Atlantic to send the Aztecs to that championship game against UConn. They still have Darion Trammell, the Seattle U transfer, who was a big part of their victory last year. And in fact, got fouled by Ryan Nemhart and hit key free throws in that game to help San Diego State beat Creighton. So there's kind of a built-in uh, matchup between Nembhard and Trammell already kind of uh, there's already a, a bit of a history there so that should make the game even more exciting uh, San Diego State does add some talent as well they add a transfer from Campbell they also add a transfer from USC Reese Dixon Waters who was the sixth man of the year in the Pac-12 last year and should be a big part of San Diego State's guard rotation of course Gonzaga loses a lot of talent from their team last year as well no Drew Timmy no Julian Strother uh, but they do bring in a lot of key players, including Ryan Nembhard, who has that history against San Diego State. They bring in Graham Ike. Ike's played a lot against the Aztecs in his career at, from his time at Wyoming. He's faced them four times. Last time he faced them, he had a 10.10 rebound double-double. So there's some familiarity there. Not a lot of the same players at San Diego State after a year off, but still at least some familiarity on, on both sides for the coaching staff at San Diego State and for Ike himself. So that kind of adds a little bit of an element to this game as well. Going to be a really fun one. I'm really happy to see these teams finally meet. San Diego State's fan base is uh, notorious. Very, very well uh, well documented that they have uh, come at Gonzaga a lot in the past. Uh, it's a fan base battle of sorts. And I think uh, the kind of game that, that should have been being played for a long time as much as possible, I think seeing it going forward is going to be good for college basketball. It's good for West Coast college basketball in particular, and it's good for Gonzaga and San Diego State. And it is now the 10th non-conference opponent for Gonzaga this season. How might the final few games shake out? We're going to talk about that 
after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you can have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs because LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's so easy to create a free job post, and then you just add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately who you'd like to hire. And let's be honest, the right team member can have a positive and measurable impact on your business. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That is linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out those everyday listeners and everyday watchers on YouTube. Very much appreciate that. We're going to come back on Friday with conference realignment conversation. We talked earlier in the week, is conference realignment dead? Definitive answer, no, it is not. Colorado goes to the Big 12. As we're talking right now, it appears that that is just a formality at this point. Assuming that comes together, what does it mean for Gonzaga? What does it mean for the Pac-12? What does it mean for the Big 12? What does it mean for UConn? All sorts of fun conversations to be had. We'll talk about that on Friday's show. Don't miss it. For now, though, we're going to continue our conversation about Gonzaga's non-conference schedule. We will worry about the conference stuff on a later date because right now Gonzaga adds their 10th game to their non-conference slate. And looking at it right now, it looks like most of the big games have already been scheduled. I suspect there's maybe one more decent marquee style opponent that could get added to the schedule. I think the rest of the games that are going to get filled out are more likely to be those tune-up style games, games against opponents that were outside the top 250 in Ken Palm's rankings, you know, teams that Gonzaga plays to just get a tune-up and, and get some of their younger guys some playing time or, or experiment with, with some lineups. So that's what I expect. We'll go through who is on the calendar right now already uh, and what that's going to look like. We know that Gonzaga is going to play Kentucky at Rupp Arena a true road environment for the Zags this year, uh, even if Kentucky did not quite return the favor and they're on their side of the uh, equation here. Uh, the date for this game is unknown. Uh, I'm suspecting it's going to be a relatively early game, although I don't know for sure. We just know that many of the games that do have schedules or that do have finalized dates for Gonzaga are later in the non-conference slate. Most of them are in December, which likely puts the Kentucky game in November Kentucky's dealing with some injuries to some of their younger guys right now. Uh, Aaron Brad Bradshaw's been out. Uh, again, uh, Onyanoso has been out as well. Uh, no, unclear if those guys will be able to play for Kentucky by the time this game happens because, of course, we don't know when the game is going to be. Uh, but they did land Trey Mitchell in the transfer portal out of West Virginia. Antonio Reeves comes back after scoring 14 a game for them last year. Uh, still going to be a really solid team, even if they lost uh, the big fish like uh, Oscar Shibway. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun game, and I think – Kentucky at Rupp is never going to be an easy out, so that'll be a good one there. We got UConn. We talked about that already a little bit. Uh, Zags playing both of the teams in the national championship game from last year. UConn will be at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, not in a finalized date yet for that either. And then, of course, the return game there 
will be at Madison Square Garden. UConn lost some talent from last year's team, no longer have Adama Sanogo, uh, who's a big part of their team. Jordan Hawkins is gone, but they have Donovan Klingon, who's going to step into a huge role as their starting center. They add Cam Shelton out of, or excuse me, Cam Spencer. Uh, they land him as transfer out of Rutgers. He's going to be a big part. They have a top 10, or a freshman coming in who's expected to be a top 10 pick in the NBA draft in Stefan Castle. So it's going to be a solid squad for UConn and Danny Hurley again as well. Yale is the other uh, game that we know of. We don't know a date yet. That game is going to be at the McCarthy Athletic Center. Uh, 21 win team last season in the Ivy League. Uh, this is the second time these two teams have ever played. I consider Yale in that kind of Kent State range of it's not a tune-up game. It's going to be a legitimately tough opponent, but it's not a marquee high major blue blood caliber opponent either. It's just kind of a, a middle level opponent. I think Yale's a, a solid squad and I'm happy Gonzaga is going to chance to play them. We have the Maui Invitational. We talked about that in a recent episode. Now that we know that Gonzaga is going to be facing Purdue to start off the Maui Invitational, they get a rematch with Zach Eady, who did some serious work against them last year. Purdue returns basically their entire lineup. Mason Gillis is back. Braden Smith is back. Fletcher Lawyer is back. This is going to be a good Purdue team, of course, after losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year, second ever number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. There is a bit of a blueprint on how to beat Purdue. We saw some teams figure out how to do it. We'll see how coach Matt Painter and that team adjust to those adjustments being made against them. What that means, Gonzaga doesn't have a ton of rim protection on the roster, uh, an area of a bit of concern, at least on my end, in terms of how Gonzaga is going to compete with teams that have dominant low post scores like Zach Eady. It is difficult for anybody to stop Zach Eady, but Gonzaga's roster is not particularly built well in that area. So we will see how they adjust to that and what they can do offensively to, to put Purdue on the ropes a little bit uh, scoring wise in Maui depending on whether Gonzaga wins or loses and depending on what happens in the Tennessee Syracuse game, Gonzaga will play one of those two teams, either Tennessee or Syracuse. Uh, certainly Tennessee would be the more preferred opponent from a uh, strength of schedule perspective. Tennessee is expected to be a top 15 ish team next season. We'll probably be ranked somewhere similarly to Gonzaga by the time this game rolls around, depending on how they do in their early non-conference games. Rick Barnes has, has built a really good program at Tennessee. They, they returned a lot of talent. Josiah Jordan James comes back. Zakai Ziegler comes back. Uh, this is going to be a really good team uh, for Tennessee. Syracuse, of course, first year without Jim Beheim. Uh, first time since Gerald Ford was president, which feels insane to say out loud, but it's true that Syracuse will have somebody else manning the sidelines in Red Autry. Uh, Syracuse kept a lot of talent. They brought in some talent. I think this is a, a sneaky, good Syracuse team. Uh, of course, Gonzaga would prefer to play Tennessee for that second game because it likely means they beat Purdue since we expect Tennessee to beat Syracuse. But if Gonzaga does end up playing Syracuse, it is still a quality opponent on their schedule uh, at the very least and a team that they have a lot of history with, which is always kind of fun to get those games going. We don't know who Gonzaga's third game is going to be against in Maui Invitational, of course, depends on how everything shakes out. The other teams on the other side of the bracket of which Gonzaga will play at least one of would be Kansas, Marquette. UCLA and of course the host squad Chaminade hopefully Gonzaga will play somebody that's not Chaminade uh, but if they get uh, Purdue and either Tennessee and Syracuse and then one of those other two teams or three teams really really good trio of games this is a stacked Maui Invitational this year as loaded as it's been pretty much ever and I think it's going to be an incredibly fun tournament to watch this year down in Hawaii. 
Zags then got USC tentatively scheduled for December 2nd in Las Vegas. Sounds like they're still trying to figure out the actual venue, whether it's going to be at the MGM, whether it is going to be at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, the big excitement about this game was, of course, getting to see Bronny James. There is some question on how that is going to potentially work just because of Bronny's recent cardiac arrest. For those of you who did not hear about that, uh, Bronny collapsed uh, during a practice for USC, went into cardiac arrest, went to the hospital, uh, is out of intensive care. That's kind of the latest update we have from the James family. This happened to a USC player last year, coincidentally, and that player did end up playing 14 games for USC last year, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised if this unfortunately prevents Bronny from getting a chance to play in that game December 2nd, which is a bummer because that was kind of a big part of the appeal for this game. But of course, the priority is Bronny James's health and safety. So if he's not able to go for that game, He's not able to go for that game. USC is still a really quality opponent. Boogie Ellis comes back after averaging about 18 points per game last year. They add Isaiah Collier, who's the number one ranked prospect in the class of 2023. So you've got the number one high school player in the country, a returning all Pac-12 player in Boogie Ellis. Still going to be a quality team, even if Bryce James is not able to go. Washington a week later, December 9th, that game is going to be in Seattle. The Zags play two games in Seattle this year, UConn and Washington. Uh, finishes a four-year home-and-home series between these two schools. 13 of the last 14 have been won by the Zags. We know what Gonzaga has done in that UW rivalry. We'll see if they can continue that streak again this year. Mississippi Valley State, two days later, that one is at home. This is the tune-up game that they have on the calendar so far. Mississippi Valley State, 5-27 and 27 last year, 4-14 and 14 in the SWAC. Uh, it's a tune-up game. Just pure and simple tune-up game. The next game the Zags have scheduled is that game, of course, against San Diego State that we talked about December 29th at the Kennel, likely the last game before we get into conference play. So 10 games for Gonzaga. They played 14 last year. Last year, by my count, they played five marquee opponents, three in the MTE, two decent opponents, and then four tune-up games. This year, I count four marquee games in UConn, Kentucky, USC, and San Diego State. Three games in the MTE, as usual. Two decent games, which I count as UW and Yale. And one tune-up game in Mississippi Valley State. That means if we were to replicate last year's schedule, Gonzaga would have one more marquee game and three more tune-up games to finalize their schedule. That feels about right to me. How, quote-unquote, marquee the last game Gonzaga adds remains to be seen. I'm not sure if we're going to get a, a really big premier non-conference opponent. Perhaps. I know Baylor is still working on their schedule. Perhaps they could get somebody like that. Maybe somebody in the Big East like Xavier. Uh, I don't think they'll get Marquette because they're in that um, in the Maui Invitational, tend to stay away from, from opponents like that. But perhaps they could even land a St. John's or Xavier or, or somebody like that. Arkansas, I, I'm wondering if they'll even try to go get BYU. You could make a debate that BYU is not a marquee opponent in the sense that they're going to be a lower-ranked team per Ken Palm, but it would still be a big game for Gonzaga to add if they could find a way to make it work with Coach Pope. Tune-up games, you know, there, there's a lot of different opponents that Gonzaga have played in these tune-up games in the past. I always, 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 always advocate for Seattle U when I have these conversations because that's my other alma mater, and I think it would be fun for Gonzaga to get to play a team in the same state as them in Seattle U. Uh, Eastern Washington has been a historical opponent. I don't know if they'll play that game because of Steel Venter. Sometimes they stay away from playing opponents when they have recent transfers like that. 
could open the door for somebody like Idaho, somebody like Montana could be in that conversation. Uh, then there's some other connections that Gonzaga could pursue. They could try to coach against Valparaiso where Roger Powell is the new head coach. I doubt they would do that, but it would be kind of fun. Uh, Gary Bell Jr. is the assistant coach at Northern Arizona. That would be kind of fun to get a chance to play Northern Arizona, a team that Gonzaga has played against in the past. Uh, there's, of course, a handful of other schools, some SWAC schools that Gonzaga has played historically, uh, some even more local schools if they wanted to go the Big West route, play Santa Barbara or Long Beach or, or somebody like that. Uh, tons of different options for Gonzaga to fill out the rest of their schedule. I think we probably have one more relatively exciting game that's going to get added to the schedule, and the rest are going to be just kind of those those calendar fillers that Gonzaga's historically had to play uh, in order to get their calendar secured. Well, the beauty of Gonzaga and San Diego state is that it is a true home and home series, something that college basketball desperately needs more of to keep this sport afloat. We're going to talk about that to close out the show right after this. That's right, segment three story patents still locked on Zags. Close it out today's show, continuing the scheduling conversation. We'll get into conference realignment in a major way on Friday's episode. But for now, we're still talking scheduling and we're talking more broadly about the health of college basketball and specifically how home and home series can help that. Because Ken Palm, Ken Palm proved in a recent research piece that he did along with Eamon Brennan, they wrote an article about it that there are more neutral site games than ever before in college basketball. This is not a surprise to folks who've been following college basketball. I think anybody would have guessed that that has been a trend that has been continuing over the last half decade or even full decade. We've seen more and more teams go away from, from playing those true home and home series and, and meeting at neutral sites, not just Gonzaga, although we've talked about it a lot with Gonzaga, with the Spokane arena game at Kentucky. We've talked about it with them playing in Seattle with Yukon and Alabama. And at least in those situations, the return game was also a neutral site game. Gonzaga played Alabama in Birmingham. Uh, Gonzaga is going to play Yukon at the Madison square garden, but you're taking away some of the magic of college basketball and we're starting to see some returns for that kansas and north carolina agreed to a home and home series starting next season that is huge kansas has never played in chapel hill the first time these two teams met was in 1957 wilt chamberlain was playing for kansas the first time these two teams met and yet as the two of the most premier recognizable college basketball brands in the United States, they have not ever played each other in Chapel Hill. They've played in Lawrence, Kansas once. That's it. These two teams have a rich history, 12 games between each other, six and six. Seven of those 12 games have been in the NCAA tournament, which is not surprising as two premier college basketball brands. The most recent game was the 2022 national championship where Kansas came from 15 down, came back, beat North Carolina, and won a ship under Bill Self. But this kind of game is what college basketball needs. And I have been, I've been on this soapbox before on the podcast. I know you everyday listeners have heard me talk about this in the past, but I fundamentally believe that college basketball is first and foremost for college students, for the current college students, for the current the student athletes. That is who the sport is primarily for. 
you play for your college to represent your university and to represent your student population. I will forever feel more connected to the players who were at Gonzaga while I was there than other players. And that's not to say that you can only be the fan of a school if you went there. That is not what I am saying at all. I know there are many listeners of the show who did not go to Gonzaga, and I don't think that there's any delineation between an alumni or a non-alumni. But I do think that the connection you have when you are a student is stronger because you see them around campus. You see them in classes sometimes. Like you, you see them at parties. Like you are connected to these athletes and their victories feel more connected to you in that moment. But you have to be able to be there. And when you commodify college sports in such a way where you're, you're prioritizing, we can make more money having this event at the Samford Pentagon, who cares if no students are there or if very few alumni are there? Who cares? You know, it's still going to be a crowd. It's still going to be money. The school is still going to take a profit out of it. And like I use the Samford Pentagon as an example. And like there was a, an NIL situation involved with that game and Peacock and the players made a, a good chunk of change out of that. And I think that's great. I don't want to imply that Gonzaga playing Baylor at the Sanford Pentagon uh, in a vacuum is bad for college basketball because that's not necessarily what I mean. I think occasional one-off games are not bad. But the continued removal of home-and-home series in favor of neutral site versus neutral site, in favor of uh, finding bigger arenas or more elaborate places to play, the gimmicky ones is kind of a different conversation. The game's on... um, aircrafts and whatnot like i understand that that's a little bit different and that's a different conversation which we won't fully go go down right now but at the end of the day i think that college basketball is at its best when you're watching the team playing at their home arena when you see the traditions that fan bases have not just domination for gonzaga but every school every school has their traditions all of them the mid-major schools the high major schools we may have no we we know more about what the Cameron Crazies do. We know more about the Rock Chalk Jayhawk chant at Kansas because they're more iconic, they're more recognizable. But even at other schools, they have their traditions. They have things that they do. And you don't get to experience those when they're playing in regular NBA arenas, playing on football fields sometimes. So for me, I want to continue to see more true home and home series. Gonzaga has attempted to do these. Kentucky is going to eventually play them at the kennel. So that is a win. We'll say that uh, UConn and Bama, they had the Seattle series. At least the return game wasn't at home. So I think that's okay. But when you think about like college football, like one of the things that makes college football so successful is these huge booming arenas and they have their, you know, they have the traditions. Wisconsin has jump around at the start of the fourth quarter. Like UW has purple haze playing at the beginning of the game. Like uh, Oregon has shout, like it, there's these routines and these traditions and like that's what you watch the game for is to see like you know the pouring rain at a game at husky stadium and everybody just going nuclear cheering and cra- and going nuts and like when college basketball games are played at climate pledge arena like you don't feel that i went to gonzaga versus alabama at climate pledge arena it was awesome that arena is fantastic it was loud it was booming it was zag centric it was fun but it's different and again, not every single game needs to be played at home. I think some neutral side games are good. As a Gonzaga fan who lives on the west side, I live in Oregon now, but when I lived in Seattle, it was so great when they would come there. I'm probably going to go to both games in Seattle this year. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but college basketball is better when big games are played at their home arenas. 
And I'm happy to see Gonzaga make a deal with San Diego State to do just that. And I'm happy to see teams like North Carolina and Kansas choose to do that as well. Because when teams like these set the precedent, hopefully it starts to enact some change and we start to see more games like this going forward. And we continue to see teams get a chance to play in front of their students because that at its fundamental core is what I think college basketball is about. That's going to wrap us up for today here. We got conference realignment all all, all episode long on Friday. We'll talk about what Colorado to the Big 12 means for Gonzaga, what it means for the Pac-12, what it might mean for UConn. All sorts of good conversation coming your way to close out the week right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you have not done so yet. For now, hang in there. Talk all sorts of conference realignment on Friday. And until next time, go Zags.